I'm going to take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 119.33. Title of the message, The Way of God's Statues. Psalms 119.33, starting there. Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statues, and I shall keep it unto the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with a whole heart. Make me to know the end. Go in the path of thy commandments, for therein do I delight. Incline my heart unto thy testimonies, and not to covetousness. Turn away my eyes from beholding vanity, and quicken thou me in the way. Establish my word unto thy servant, and who is devoted to thy fear. Turn away my reproach, which I fear, for the judgment, for thy judgments are good. Behold, I have longed after thy precepts, quicken me in thy righteousness. Let's pray together, please. Heavenly Father, we do thank thee for thy word that's ever settled in heaven, and pray that you would give us the heart that we would obey and follow thy statutes and judgments and law, and that in all things we might not bring a disgrace or be a disgrace, and that we might not bring shame on the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray for each one here that you be pleased to edify the saints and you might save those without Christ and all things that you might be magnified and glorified this afternoon. We do praise thee and thank thee and pray that we could worship thee and would worship thee in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, for his sake, amen. The way of God's statues, the word statue means to inscribe, engrave, a law, ordinances, and so on, on stone, metal, skins, paper, uh, you just name it, where it can be ascribed. So a statute is one that's not oral, but written. Uh, In their time, the word statue was used in the following ways. I got this from the theological workbook of the Old Testament. Order, prescription, injunction, regulation, or requirement, and the commandment, and commandment. Therefore, a statute is something prescribed. It's not only prescribed, it tells you how to do it. It gives you the law, the requirement, the commandment, and then it lays out how it's supposed to be done. And there are numerous regulations, prescriptions concerning the ark and concerning the Ark of the Covenant from the building of the placement and uh, veils covering, approaching, and, uh, car- and carrying it and penalty statues for breaking these statues. And so when I was a kid, uh, uh, Sunday school, and they talked about these statues, I thought they talked about statues. And I thought, well, I couldn't understand when they was talking about this, how a statue, I, all I can think of, my neighbor, you know, they had all these idols on their <clears throat> on their, above their fireplace on the mantle, and I thought maybe it's talking about statues like that. I didn't, un- I didn't know it meant law or, <clears throat> or requirements and, uh, until later on, but it really confused me for a long time. And people take courses on law, medical, doctors, woodworkers, and <clears throat> people in the, the trades, dr- all drilling, and learn not only what is prescribed, but in the way they are to carry it out, how it's to be done. However, until we learn the way of them, the training is almost useless because in order to learn, 
lot of a lot of things have labs where you go on hands and you, you let out gas, take gas in, so on and so forth, like in refrigeration. And uh, used to, you just take the Freon and let it escape in, in the air. But now the statue says you don't, you can't do that, and it tells you uh, how to pump it out and so on and so forth. They require certain uh, <clears throat> vacuum uh, level and all those things in order to uh, to to take the gas out. And if you don't do it their way, they got penalties. And some of them in some states are really uh, terrific. Other states are a little more lax. But nonetheless, if you don't do it the way they want, you don't do it according to the regulations, then and then there's a penalty. And we could talk about well draw, drilling wells and lawyers and courts and so on and so forth. The same is true with the statues of God. There are the commandments, which tells us what we do, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Then the way of them, how it must be kept, application of them. Uh, David was moving the ark. He won the ark to be in Jerusalem, and so the ark was out there and they in another place, and he's going to move it, and so he got a, a cart, and he got uh, some oxen, and he put the ark on the cart, and as they was coming down the lane there, well, the, the, the cart kind of stumbled or how, uh, fell in a hole or whatever it was. Anyway, Uzziah, Uzziah put his hand up to stop it. And as soon as he touched, he died. Because the statues was, the only one who could touch that was the Levites. And only a certain household of the Levites was, <coughs> could touch them to put the covers on and so on and so forth. And so it says David was mightily afraid. He scared him and there in the Chronicles. And so he dropped it off there and, and, and uh, he went to Jerusalem. When he went to Jerusalem, you heard that where he dropped it off at, uh, God was really blessing them there. So <coughs> he went out the next time, and he says this time, he done it after the due order. The first time, he didn't do it according to the due order. He didn't do it according to the statues. And this time, the Levites was out there carrying it on their shoulders. Now, a lot of people would think, just like David maybe would have thought, it would be easier to put it on a cart. And to have these people, I don't know how many miles they would have had to carry it, uh, it had been easier for the cart. And, and these guys get tired and, you know, and all this, that, and the other. And we could think of a hundred reasons why to use a cart instead of letting these people carry it. <clears throat> it cost a man's life. It made David afraid. And when he come back and done it after the due order, they were able to take him to Jerusalem, put it where David had prescribed for it to go, and, and God blessed them in all of that. And so there's just not only that we're to do something, there is a way that we are to do it. Take the statue, the love. Love God, love the neighbor, and love one another. All of these are if you will, examples, or if you will, what God would have us to do. But in 1 John 4.20, it says, If a man say, I love God, 
and hateth his brother, he is a liar. It says, For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? You say, well, God wouldn't be nothing like my neighbor or my brother or whatever. You don't know that. Now, he wouldn't be sinful like them, but he might have a turn like them. A lot of times, somebody just irritates you by what they do. So we're to love God and love our neighbor, love one another. And in 1 John, it says, if you hate your brother, then you don't love God. And somebody said, well, I, I don't think that's right. God says that's the way it is. And if God says this is the way it's prescribed, this is the way that you see where you're keeping the commandment or not, is that you love your brothers and sisters, and if you don't, you're a liar. The first step is to learn what the statue is. You can never obey or keep a Lord's commandment if you don't know what it is. There in 119.25 of Psalms, say, Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord, O Lord, I beseech thee, and send now prosperity. And uh, we're going to read just a little bit more, but uh, we have a commandment on love in Mark. And we're not using the one in John. In Mark 12.29. In 1229, John, and and, uh, John 13, uh, and Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments, the hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment, and thou, and the second is like, namely, this, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is no other great, another commandment greater than these. Then John thirteen thirty four, and it says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another, and by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another. One of the things that is said about the early saints is that even their enemies would <coughs> explain or they would say about them is how they loved one another. And this was kind of like it was so unusual in the way they uh, loved one another that the enemy, the pagans, took note of it, that these people, they really love one another. And, and we see, as we read in First John, if you don't love the one another, that is the saints, then you don't love God either. The next step is to hide in our one's heart, Psalms 119.11, Thy word will I hide in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. Now, this is talking about memorization, and this is talking about meditation. Memorization puts the word there, meditation, causes you to think about it and what it means. 
And so these go hand in hand in hiding the Word of God in our heart. If you don't know any Scripture, then you have a hard time meditating on it. <clears throat> you're going to have a hard time when you go out trying to make a choice about something. You, you're, you're at a crossroads and you're trying to figure out, uh, should I go this way or should I go that way? Well, if you know the statutes, if you know the commandments, if you know the Word of God and it's hid in your heart and you understand it by meditating on it, then it makes the decision much easier. Somebody said, well, we should pray about the will of God about this matter. And some passage says, this is the will of God. And it's speaking about fornication, that particular place in Thessalonians. But if we... If you will, if we uh, commit fornication, then we, we don't love God. We don't, we're not doing what God would have us to do, and we know that's the wrong direction that God would have us to go. And so as we hide the Word of God in our hearts, uh, then we know this is the will of God, and it's said more than just there. There's several different places where it says this is the will of God. Uh, a couple of places, this is the will for thee. And... But nonetheless, if we know what the will of God is in a matter, you don't have to pray and ask God, what is your will in this matter? Shall I go out and commit fornication? You say, that's kind of silly, preacher. Well, why did they have it in the Scriptures? And God reinforces what the whole Scriptures teaches about a proper relationship. But there it says, there's no question about that this is the will of God. This is the way it should be done. And so we... We are to uh, take God's word and put it in our heart that we might know what God's uh, judgment is on something, know what God what is right and what is wrong. And these things you learn not just by learning scriptures. When I was in the RAs, in order to get another little patch on your on your arm here, <coughs> your royal ambassadors, what was RA stood for you had to memorize a certain amount of scriptures. And so I'd go and memorize this next section, and I'd get my little stripe, but I didn't know what none of it meant. I just memorized it to get the stripe. I didn't sit down and think, well, I wonder what this means. I mean, I wasn't a high thinker like that. And the point I'm making is just putting scripture just by memorization. Somebody, people say, well, that's what it means to hide it in your heart. It goes beyond memorization. It goes to understanding what the statute means, what the will of God is in a matter, in a particular matter. <clears throat> we it helps make us it helps make uh, <clears throat> uh, the word of God, if you will, what that is what it, it is like. Sometimes we have a, a, where Abraham does a certain thing. And if we look at it, we think, well, this is illustrating this particular commandment or this is illustrating some commandment in the New Testament and it's all laid out there. Some of them are revealing Christ Jesus. I mean, how many passages in Isaiah is speaking about Jesus? Now, the Jews didn't know it was until, until after Jesus came and, and he speak. this is what, you know, this is what spoke of me. And he would take the Old Testament scripture and he would read it to him or quote it to him. And, and he said, this spoke of him. And so he explained what those scriptures meant. 
Is idolatry bad? Is thinking about idolatry bad? Now we know from Matthew that it's bad. Because if you have, if you will, if you fostered it in your heart, if you, like whether it be covetousness or whether it be idolatry, fornication, whatever, if it becomes a part of it, we like meditating, I guess you might be a good word to say, uh, that we've already done it. God counts us as fornicators, idolaters. If we hate our brother, and First John says, you murder, you got murder in your heart. And we say, well, he's not dead, I didn't kill him. But God says it's the same as murder to hate your brother or sister in Christ. And there are many scriptures like Galatians 5.21, Indians, murders, dark, <coughs> drunkenness, ravelings, and such like. And then and it tells us not to have, not let this be a part of us. First uh, Timothy 1.10, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for man-stillers, for liars, for perjured person, if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Now, the last one is the one that gets us. He lists all these things that we would say, well, we know that sin, preacher. But then he says, that is contrary to sound doctrine. And we're not to promote a lie when we know it's a lie. We're not to go along and get along. To, we're not to go along to get along. Sometimes you hear this about preachers and Sometime in churches, I, I, I knew a particular church, and this uh, one of the members there was talking to me about how bad the preacher was and how the many things they was doing there were wrong. And I said, well, maybe you ought to, you know, find another church. He said, well, my granddad built that church. All my people are out in that cemetery out there, he said, I just can't leave that church. Well, it's contrary to sound doctrine. He knew it. I knew it. I don't know how many in, the, in that church knew it, but he wasn't going to leave that church that his grandfather built where his parents and all those buried out there in the cemetery. And, and so, therefore, he stuck with the bad doctrine. Now, you cannot sit under bad doctrine and doctrine's contrary without rubbing off on you. And whether you go whole hog and believe the whole thing, before long you'll start believing part of it. Now part of this is to soothe our conscience. To say, well, really, I believe it. You know, I think scriptures show this. And when somebody takes a scripture and twists it, you know, that's my excuse. That's my reason for believing this. Secondly, you must learn the way of the Lord's statue. There in verse 33 of our text, after we had read it, then we need to <coughs> we hide them in our heart to meditate. Psalms 1-2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his, <coughs> and his law doth he meditate day and night. Now, is the word of God your delight? Not just that, well, you know, it tells us the way of salvation. That's not what it's talking about, just your delight. Now let's say back in the kitchen area 
we had a broccoli casserole and I had some kind of pie. And you'd say to me, which one you delight in? Now, all the medical evidence says that broccoli is good for you. I mean, I've heard this from somewhere. And how it's beneficial. But I don't delight in it at all. Now, most fruit pies I do. I delight in them. And what the Bible is saying, that we're to delight in the Word of God, is not to be a drudgery to us, is not to be touch not, taste not, handle not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, and so on and so forth, as, as if it's a drudgery. And you hear some people talking about the Scriptures, and, and they talk about obeying the Scripture, but you see it's a drudgery to them. It's like, well, that's too straight-laced for me. But when it says, delight thyself in these, or in the... And these he delighted. He enjoyed them. He loved them. He liked those better than other words that he might hear. And he meditated upon them. And, and this is where you learn what they mean. Jesus shows uh, how the love of God works. There in John 14. In John 14, 21. He that hath my commandment and keepeth them. He, is, he, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judas said unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou will manifest thyself unto us? and not unto the world. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him, and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye have heard is not mine, but the Father which sent me. So... They said, how's this going to be? How are you going to manifest yourself? How are we going to know about you? Well, if you love Jesus and love his commandments, then the Father and Son will take up a boat. We know this is in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And as many times it speaks, or several times it speaks of the Father and the Son dwelling in us. The reason that a lost person can't delight in the Lord, he don't understand it, and God's not abiding. In a child of God, God's abiding in them. And, and this is where we can understand what the Word of God is. And he says, And Judas said unto him, Not a scared Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest, uh, manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? How come you know Jesus, understand the Scriptures, <coughs> and the world doesn't? We see somebody take the same scripture and they'll say some idiotic thing about that scripture. We'll look at, why did they come up with that? I mean, some of the things you've read, if you ever, if you read very many commentaries, you think, where'd that come from? Or you hear some new religion come up and they take a scripture and 
that is their Bible, and they use that, and they use that as, to, as their connection with heaven and God and everything, and you say, how'd they get that? Now, in the verse, we might find out, but if we compare Scripture to Scripture, we think they're fools. What they're doing is foolish, and they're denying the very thing that they say that they are following, that is, the Word of God. Now, we find that the love of God is revealed by obedience, faithfulness, as we study the Scriptures. Now, I'm not picking on antinomians. Well, maybe a little bit. But what they say is the exact opposite of this. They say if you love God, you can sin all you want to. You can go out and be as crooked as you want to, have slide deals, cheat people, and, and you'll be all right because the love of God's in you. I mean, if you, if you don't have the love of God, then you're not saved. And so if you ask them if they believe that they have the love of God, they'll tell you they do. But if they hate God's word, they hate God. And if they love God, they'll keep his word. Now, there's many Christians that are not antinomians that believe sin doesn't matter. Now, they'll say you need to repent, and absolutely you need to repent. But the problem with, if you will, sinning is it shows a lack of love for the Godhead. We're doing the opposite of what God tells us to do. And who are we following? The devil. I mean, when you think about it, you're either following God or you're following the devil. You're going to be one who says, well, I'm just a human being. I'm just in humanism. That's what the devil is telling Eve in the garden. Now, you know God doesn't mean that. God knows that when you eat of that tree, you're going to be like gods. So they ate. And yes, they knew good and evil. They didn't know the evil part until they partook of the forbidden fruit. But as soon as they partook of the forbidden fruit... They become wise unto wickedness. They understood what it was, rebellion against God. God says don't eat. God didn't tell them why not to eat of it. He just says don't eat of it, and the day that you eat thereof, you'll die. Satan says, you won't surely die. And that day they was dead toward God. <clears throat> the love of one's neighbor <clears throat> and uh, Luke ten twenty nine, but he willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Then what did Jesus? The parable of the good Samaritan. Who did Jews hate? Samaritans. And he was illustrating that point, if you will, about loving your neighbor, and used the Samaritan to do it. So we have this Jewish priest go by, and he goes by and sees the guy. He just walks on around. Then another Jewish leader comes by, and he does the same thing. Here comes this wicked, old, good-for-nothing Samaritan. I mean, they're just the scum of the earth is what the Jews thought. He comes by and sees this Jewish man that's been beaten up and robbed. 
He takes him, put him in a hotel. He pays the bill for him. And he says, now, if he needs any more, when I come back, I'll pay you the residue. I'll pay you whatever he uses. And then Jesus says, now, which one was the neighbor? That tells us a lot, if you will, about love thy neighbor as thyself. Here was the most dreaded, hateful, wicked, in the imagination of the Jews, person that's on the face of the earth, and he's the one that loved his neighbor as himself. Love of the brethren, as we already mentioned, willing to lay down our life for the brethren, there in 1 John 3.15. However, uh, talk is cheap. There in 1 John 3.16 and 18, how hereby perceive you the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, we say, well, you're supposed to be, he's supposed to be able to die for one another, and, and people get into all that, but and the word doesn't stop there, does it? But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, and let us not love in word, neither in, de- in tongue, but in deed and truth. So he says we should be willing to lay down our, our, our lives for our brethren, uh, but we're not willing to share a hamburger with somebody. We're not willing, if you will, to give them a watermelon or uh, help them in some way or the other. Now, we say, well, I'd lay down my life for you, but I will not give you a dollar. Now, wherein is the love of the brother at? It's not there. All through the scriptures, we have illustration of what it is to keep the word of God. <clears throat> In James 2.15 and 17 is similarly fulfilling the royal law. If a brother or sister be naked or destitute or of daily food, and one of them say unto them, Depart. To me now, this is worse than the other. Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it has not works, is dead being alone. You know what this is saying? Now, brother, I'll be praying for you, and I hope God blesses you and supplies your needs. See you next Sunday. That's what it's talking about. And here you have, you have your pantry full, and the refrigerator full, the freezer full, and we can just go on and on and on, and we're not willing to give them a piece of celery. Now, where in the love of God is that? Now, somebody said that, you know, some will take advantage of that. Well, we have places like Thessalonians where it says, if they don't work, they don't eat. Now, that was people that were subsidized by the church. And those are just laying around tattling and going from house to house, there's nothing in the scripture that says we're to abate them or help them. <clears throat> we're to help them with the minimum things, but 
they need to learn to do right. And so it says if they don't work, they don't eat. <clears throat> and so we think about the, uh, uh, we're to meditate upon these things, and we have all the illustration in the scriptures. Verse 34, the Holy Spirit is our teacher. First John 2:27, but the anointing which ye has received, which ye have received of the of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, even as it had taught you, as he has taught, as it had taught thee, excuse me, he shall abide, ye shall abide in him. Well, the preacher never did preach on that. Sunday school teacher never did teach on that. So I'm not responsible to do that. The problem is you got another teacher. It's the Holy Spirit. He knows everything in the Word of God. You say, well, yeah, but I never read that. That's not the Spirit's fault. That's your fault. You say, well, I never, I don't understand what that means. That's not your fault. I'm Spirit's fault. That's your fault. He teaches us. And everybody here knows in the different ways and methods the Holy Spirit teaches us some things that I've already mentioned that I'd be searching for, trying to find, to understand, that to come to a settlement in my own mind. I could find where people say, well, this is what this means, that's what, and this is what it means, and you know, so on and so forth, but that didn't settle my heart and mind. And then be in a conference or something, and somebody preach on something, there it is. Get on when you read daily <coughs> readings, you know, or or maybe devotion that you read along with that, then there it is. Now, the one's teaching is the Holy Spirit because he's the one highlighting it. He's the one saying, this is your answer. And then your heart is settled on that truth. And this is the way the Spirit works. He's not isolated. You don't go sit down in a corner somewhere and say, fill me. It doesn't work that way. Then we have 1 Corinthians 2.13, which thing also we speak not in the words which men's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And to me, because this is the answer to most heresies, is compare scriptures with scriptures. I was talking to a man who did not believe in, uh, in uh, election, did not believe God the Savior, that, you know, you took a step toward God and he takes a step toward you and that type of thing. And I was supposed to preach a meeting for him, and I just come to the truth. And so he said, well, what do you do with this verse? Like John 3.16. Well, I just started out at John 3.1. Read down to 3.16, 3.8 says, so is everyone born in the Spirit. And you don't know where, how it comes, or how it lists us, <clears throat> but we know the work that's been done that you must be born again. And then you start in the first part of 3 John, it tells you about the new birth, what the new birth is, and so on and so forth, all the way down to John 3.16. Now, those verses explain exactly what John 3.16 means. And every passage they threw at me, almost every one of them, 
Without exception, I just read the whole chapter. And the whole chapter would, ex- would explain itself. <clears throat> and so we're to be careful. We're to use God's word. We have an instructor, the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> we, uh, first, we need to know the sound doctrine is and before we can keep it. In 1 Corinthians 2.13, which things also we speak, not in the words which men's wisdom teach, but which the Holy Spirit, ghost teaches, <coughs> comparing spiritual with spiritual, which we just read, but we are to compare those things one with another. It works in scriptures, and God's not going to tell you one thing in one place and another thing in another place. In order to do this, you've got to break that. If God says <clears throat> you're to love your neighbors yourself and you see some other scriptures where uh, Moses did something to his neighbors, well, I can do that if he did, but then you'd be breaking this law. And usually when we take it out of context in our mind. When <clears throat> Lastly, we need to learn to walk in the statues of God. Verse 35, we need heaven's direction, the Spirit, to direct our, our steps and our word. Verse 5 of 119. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. We need, we need God to humble our heart and incline us toward his teaching or his testimonies. Verse 37. And he would, we had that we should turn our eyes from vanity and look to God to quicken us in our way. 38, he would establish that he would establish his word in our heart. And that's the only way you can know his statues as God established them. <clears throat> and then verse 40, and will satisfy the longing soul. Psalms 107.9 for he satisfied the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst up to righteousness, for they shall be filled. The psalmist says, O Lord, <coughs> thy way, of, <coughs> teach, excuse me, teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statues, and I will keep it, keep it unto the end. After we have learned it, We need to practice 